Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Skeptic Hangout. It's the Yorkshire Takeover episode, apparently, with me and Jilliver, um, just about managing to keep up with what we need to do. Um, and today we've got a very exciting topic, which is morality. Now, it's a topic that's been in the news in the UK a lot recently, um, with various things to do with tax and members of Her Majesty's government. Uh, but obviously, it's something that comes as loads and loads and loads of areas of life and existence just generally um we often talk about like moral obligations um Anna knew someone who felt morally obligated to drive in in an economy-sized honda she felt it was her civic duty as a, a pun a, a, a morality pun i've got there for the introduction it doesn't seem to have gone down very well with with jill from i'm sure it went down well. <laughs> it's watching and listening um but with that being said grab your english tea or in my case a grab of ice uh, a, a glass of ice cold dandelion and burdock mm. beautiful as we discuss the black the white and all the greys in between this is episode 59 morality Let's get cracking. Yeah, I, I first of all, I want to say welcome back, Mr. Gill. Yeah, what the been... devil have you been doing? I'm sure that some of our watchers, listeners have noticed that you've been absent for a wee while. Where where have you been and what have you been doing? I just boring life stuff, but I'm 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 very happy to be back. Um I've got lots of smiles for today's episode. I've been I've been saving up my smiles for today's episode, so we're uh yeah, ready to go. Um, or what have you? Um, so morality, morality indeed. Are ethics and morality the same thing? Would you class well, them as the same thing? Etymologically speaking, yes. So the 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 um, the history of the words morality was the Roman version of the Greek idea of ethicos or ethics and things. Um, so they're etymologically at least very closely linked, moral or ethical. And those words are used really interchangeably, can't they? I guess there are, there must be differences between the two. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Do you happen to have a, a very solid idea of the difference between those two things? I, I, I would tend to use them, and I think most ethicists would tend to use them interchangeably. Yeah. There is a, a, a difference in some quarters where where you, you have a look and and I mean to me it's negligible, but yeah. the, some people not it's not universal, but some people would have you say that morality is something that is uh, given to you outside of yourself, whereas ethics is a personal code that you abide by. It's but, interesting because like you can think of say people who are undertaking research might have to have their research passed by an ethics panel, but the word morality in that case doesn't seem to fit somehow. But I don't know if that's just because we're used to the word ethics in that place as opposed to the word morality, or if that highlights a difference between those two things. I'm not sure. Yeah, I I, I use them interchangeably and and I, I think 
uh, and, and I am quite a pedantic person, as we know. But I think as I think you have to be quite pedantic if you want to kind of try and distinguish between the two. I don't think there's many conversations where distinguishing between the two is necessarily appropriate or necessary. Well, I think this is a really good point to highlight. Anyone who happens to be listening is screaming at their device. Of course, there's a massive difference between these two things. Um, why on earth have these two idiots not realised uh, to jump onto our Facebook discussion group and, and let us know exactly where we're wrong in this area because I, I would I would like my knowledge and life improved by knowing the difference between those two things if there happens to be a significant one that we're worth missing. Yeah, uh, so uh, ethics, ethics or, or morality, whichever, whichever way we want to go with it. What... Kind of because there there are different ideas about it. Whether there is, uh, and and I think the main contention in my experience is whether there is a uh, an objective or subjective morality. I don't know wh- wh- whether you've come across that as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And would you like to expand on that a little bit? If you have your thoughts on that, which is handy since we're we're in a program where we're talking about <laughs> our thoughts on things. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because uh, you were talking before how I've come from position of being a theist to obviously being an atheist. Um, and so I, I came from a place in life where I kind of considered the ideas about good things and bad things to do, good ways and bad ways to be, coming from an authority, that being God written down in the Bible and church doctrine and all of that. Lot. Whereas now a lot of that just seems silly to me and arbitrary. Um, I think there are things which, generally speaking, if you look across humanity, we all kind of feel are good and bad things, murder, theft, you know, things like that, that that are sort of, I don't know, obvious bad things to do, obvious immoral actions. But then there are those grey areas where actually murdering someone might be for a greater good. I don't want to sound like a Nazi when I say great, but, you know, where the the outcome of it is better than not having done it, or it's theft because otherwise your children are starving to death, which is obviously worse than a bit of food being stolen, for example. You know, like, you can, I think you can almost justify anything, can't you, with a, a real reason, but then, I don't know. What's the point I'm making? I'm really good at this. You're saying things not coming to a point. It's, yeah, because you asked, didn't you, about subjective and objective morality. So, like, do is there a, a like, a is morality, all the, the things we decide about what's good and bad, is all of that just based on our own opinions and our own ideas? Is it all up for debate or is some of it concrete and hard? And I, I kind of generally come down on the side of none of it is concrete. And all of it has to do with us deciding, you know, even like if it's a decision between just me and you personally, like we have to decide that and come to that agreement together, whether it's us as a as a country in the UK or as a continent or as a, you know, people across the world. It's about discussion and understanding and negotiation. Um, and I, I, I think it's, yeah, I think life's a lot easier when you get to just say, oh, well, God says this, or this holy book that I've read says this, so therefore it's good, therefore it's bad. Um, it gets, it 
it gets people to where they don't have to think about the implications of any moral decisions because it just is or it isn't. Um, just as an example of that, you know, like homosexuality is an easy one to jump on where people just um, can use a holy text or a doctrine or a, a teaching or what have you to say, well, homosexuality is immoral without actually thinking about, well, what does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean? Because homosexuality can mean, and obviously this is just one example of many, many, many examples I could jump to, but like someone loving someone or someone fancying someone or someone having sex with someone or whatever, like some of those aren't even questions of morality. Depending on your, your sort of viewpoint, you know, there's this idea of amorality where things are just not even in the realm of whether they're good, bad, moral, immoral, where it's just sort of the wrong question to be asking in the first place. Uh, whereas people just take that from authority, don't they? As in like, this Bible says this, or this holy book says that, my religious leader said this, and so therefore I know this is wrong. But they don't have to involve themselves in that thought process of moral, immoral, whatever. What does this mean if I was that person and I put myself in their shoes, what would I be, you know, what my viewpoint on that be, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I've spoken a lot. I'll let you jump in on all the things I've said that are wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've said quite a lot and uh, uh, I'd like to quit. Well, like I said on. quite a lot. I, was, I, I, had, <laughs> I, I had things to say that I was pleased. I didn't want to interrupt you though because you were on a really good train. I, uh, I think going back to the first thing you said, uh, I think your confusion is the perfect kind of example of the fact that morality isn't just a black and white thing. And and to me, uh, that's what objective morality is. Yeah. Objective morality is this thing is wrong or this thing is right. And... That's not how morality works. It's not how ethics works. You've, you, you can't talk about morality without taking into consideration the consequences. Yeah. You can't take about the action in isolation of the consequences. And I think to do so is naive. Yeah. And I think in, in a lot of the conversations I've had along morality tend to be these with religious people who have this kind of naive framework of uh, it being good or bad, or they also, there's a, there's a set of religious people who tend to push forward a very loose concept that it does include consequences, but they don't have a, a definition really yeah. for what objective morality is. They like to say, yes, we believe in objective morality because they think that's what should be done, but they don't have a definition of objective morality. Because you get people then defending things like slavery or genocide because they have this idea of an objective morality as in like, God said, this is good. So it is good regardless. Whereas anyone who actually considers like you say, the implications, the context, the consequences of, of any of those things has to come to a different conclusion. You know, like I said, like the, the theft thing, yes, you could say very, very clearly on paper, 
stealing something from one person without recompense has to be bad and and that does make sense of course like that does make sense who would want anything of theirs to be stolen by someone else without paying for it or without an agreement or a trade or what have you but yeah it's that black and whiteness which is difficult and i think as well one thing which complicates things is laws in in various countries so like you know theft is illegal in the uk regardless of any really worthwhile significant moral reasons for the theft like law has to be black and white and yeah there can be some sort of judgments and gray areas considered in like a court by a judge or by a jury or what have you but at the end of the day laws have to be black and white and I think that kind of I can't remember the word I'm looking for but it can like change people's views on certain things because say for example seatbelts was a thing where um, in the 1970s in the UK, suddenly seat belts became seat belts became a legal obligation. This this might not sound like what I'm talking about, but I, hopefully I'll come back around to it. Seat belts were a thing where suddenly they became a legal requirement for if you were a passenger in a car in the UK, and people kind of saw it as a well. A lot of people pushed back against it by all accounts. I mean, I'm talking like I was there. I certainly wasn't. Um, <laughs> People, I've, I've, I've seen YouTube videos. Um, people push back against it because they were very much used to acting in a certain way, but then the law changed their attitudes towards it to the point where nowadays it feels like a moral obligation to wear my seatbelt because I'm protecting myself, I'm protecting other road users, I'm protecting other passengers within the car, and that suddenly becomes this, this big thing. And so, like, laws can be a good tool for sort of adjusting people's attitudes towards some of these moral questions, but they can also be things which are which are negatives or subtract from that because people then often see things in a black and white way whereas in life in reality day to day very rarely do we have any situations where things are black and white did that did yeah, that make sense it does I'd, I'd like to clarify the and uh, do. this is regarding british law so mm-hmm. but I, I i do feel that mitigating circumstances are taken into account yeah so although the law although theft is wrong in the UK. If somebody does have mitigating circumstances, they will be taken into consideration as to the harshness of the sentence or if if a sentence is given at all. So I think that's very important to point out. I think that's a good clarification. I think in terms of like, the law, I guess, isn't written in a way as like, theft is always illegal unless you've got like a really good reason and you can kind of persuade people to like the law <laughs> still states that that is a, yeah, yeah. Match, isn't it? you know, it's that, but yeah, you're right. In, in terms of, you know, mitigating, I don't know, would there ever be, presumably there are cases where there are things which are black and white. Yes, this is illegal, but people being let off because of mitigating circumstances, presumably that happens all the time. I, I would think it happens all the time. Yeah. That, I mean, without bringing any particular examples which I don't have. So it would be wrong of me to do so. I can imagine. I can imagine. But I think about this stuff all the time. I mean, uh, one, my degree is in three parts. And we talk about the other two parts quite a lot on the show, which is religion and philosophy. But my, after the name of my degree... The, my, the name of my degree is religious, religion, philosophy, and ethics. 
So this is something that I do kind of yeah, think yeah. about quite a lot and it's something I talk about quite a lot, although it's not something that I kind of publicise because it, it, you know, it comes up in kind of fringe conversations rather than mainstream conversations. Um, but I think going back to... I wanted to touch a little bit on what you said earlier on because something you said really caught my attention and it's something I've pushed back on before in the... Morality is just, and disagree with me if 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 I misquote you because that's not something I want to do. But morality, oh, I'm what I've said anyway, so carry on. <laughs> Mor- morality is something that is uh, entirely subjective because I don't actually agree with that because I think there are objective facts about life which inform morality. For instance, we are all going to die. Mm. We, none of us really enjoy pain and suffering. None, of, although I would make a distinction between those two things, but just for the sake of this conversation, none of us really enjoy pain and suffering. We're all going to get ill at something t- at some time. We all need to eat to survive, uh, and and I think things like that, objective facts, do inform morality. So it's not just a case of being completely subjective it's not just a case of my opinion against yours on all subjects there are certain things that we have to take into consideration when we're talking about morality and we're talking about our personal ethics yeah that's interesting that that brought a few things to mind so um I agree in terms of like generally like as a species we have all and I may be misunderstanding what you're saying or I may be completely wrong so again Correct me. But I understand that, like, as a species, we've got the same basic needs in terms of we need to eat, we need to, you know, all those sorts of things. But I think people can still even look at those in different ways. So, like, we could say very clearly that starving someone, like, putting someone in a position where they are not able to feed themselves to the point where they starve to death is an immoral action because eating is a necessary part of them staying alive. But the Nazis did that to Jews during the Holocaust and other groups during the Holocaust, but they thought that that was a moral decision because they viewed them as subhuman. And, you know, there's that whole that whole thing of, like, because they were less worthy as... Less, well, less worthy than they were of those basic needs... And so in their eyes, I imagine that was a moral action. Whereas we will view that as an immoral action. I'm not trying... Is this me defending Nazis? Is that what I'm doing? Am I defending Nazis now? I was laughing to myself, actually, when you said that, because uh, why is it on every conversation about morality that the fucking Nazis come into it? No, but think, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you can see them as monsters really quite easily because the, their morality doesn't align with ours. And so... When I'm saying, like, is everything subjective or are there objective things? To us, it seems obvious that some of those things that you listed are objective things, but those were not, like, those must be subjective because there are people like the Nazis, as a really obvious example that most people know of, where, you know, those things don't, just don't match up. But, but the, the, these, these aren't objective moralities. These aren't objective moral actions. These are objective facts about life that inform morality. But inform that are subjective. 
the the infamy the, 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 people like the Nazis, for example, have taken a subjective view of those objective facts. Yeah, the the facts haven't changed. True, people still die. People still suffer. They are objective facts. But the Nazis have taken a subjective view of it in this circumstance because yeah. of my subjective opinion. It is okay to override this because yeah. of my subjective view. So the fact is still objective. The yeah. fact still remains the same. But the 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 opinion is a subjective one. Yeah. No, that does make sense. Um yeah, I think you question about why do we always go to Nazis? I think it is one of those though where it's we all kind of know about Nazis, don't we? Like we all get taught it at school. And also, I think you know, like a lot of these questions to do with morality are quite subtle, and there was not much subtle about the Nazis. So, like, it's a really easy one to jump on. <laughs> um, yeah, Holocaust is not subtle. Um, yeah, I just I, I don't want to clarify for anyone who was listening that I'm not I'm not trying to defend Nazis as um, in any way moral, but it, it, it didn't. I think my point still stands in terms anyway. of those those sorts of norms and ideas that we have about things which are reasonable expected even like basic minimum sort of requirements for any sort of moral decision just did not match up with the same ideas that that nazis had or at least you know people like hitler and those those top nazis had about uh you know gay people jews roman gypsies etc 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 um yeah uh, going back to gay people, as, as you've just raised it again, and you raised it earlier, because that was one of the points I wanted to re- yeah. raise up earlier when you when you talked about that. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, I, I don't remember exactly what you said earlier. So, if, if I think I think in a I joke your memory, please. <laughs> yeah, I think my point was, and again, if memory serves, people can rewind. Something along the lines of. People get told that that is that homosexuality is immoral, but is it necessarily a question of morality, or is something like homosexuality amoral? As in, it, it's not even the right question to be asking. I yeah. think that's and, not. yeah, and and that's what I wanted to touch on the idea that uh, it's it's it could be a spectrum of things. You could have just platonic homosexual love for someone. Yeah. You could uh, be involved in a, a physical sexual relationship. And it's interesting to me that a lot of the... I'm going to say religions rather than theistic religions because I don't want to, to isolate theistic religions in this because I do think it's more widespread than that. Yeah. Kind of have this idea of... And I'm going to borrow specifically Christian language for this. Love the sinner, not the sin. <sighs> So the, the 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 idea is that you're not wrong because you are a homosexual. It is the acts you partake in which make you wrong, which is hideous. <laughs> but let's make this very very hideous. But it, it, it is an idea within religion, and it's widespread within religion. Whether it's Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or Christianity or Judaism, the the idea that you know the the person it's it's the act which is the aberration. It's not the person having those feelings. If you don't act on them, 
yeah. then then you are okay. And I talked about this recently in an, an episode of the nonprofits I did uh, with uh, our good friend Josh Entner from the Bloody Good Film Prod- Podcast, and, and we were talking about Mormonism. And I actually have a friend who's who's gay, who's a Mormon, and they were um, they went to conversion therapy. And uh, we're encouraged to do that. And they're now living in a straight relationship with children and and kind of denying that because they've got this idea in their head that, that if you don't act upon the the way you feel, then it's no longer a sin. It's, it's, it's acceptable to kind of be who you are as long as you don't act upon it, which is abhorrent. It's a, it's a really, it's... So I kind of want to break that down because then, Brian, where do you want to start? Because there was a few things that came into mind and now they've all kind of got muddled up and um, end up coming out in the right order. Thinking about then that in, in, in the, through the lens of morality, like immoral and moral, obviously me and you will agree that loving anyone and wanting to have relationships with or fancying or having sexual relationships with anyone, whether they're of the same gender, a different gender, between genders, whatever it is, is fine, as long as we're all consenting adults. And all, Absolutely. You know, yeah. So, like, the question of morality is then, presumably for those people who are in that situation, so your friend, for example, who went through conversion therapy and et cetera, the the basis upon which that was all predicated was that those acts or feelings or actions are immoral, which means like ethically wrong. And presumably in, in the sort of frame of Mormonism would therefore be sins and acts against God. So then that begs the question to me, at least in terms of like, if that's, what that means if those actions are sins actions against god i mean it's an obvious question of you know those people were made that way by god presumably or is there another explanation as to why that person has those feelings because those feelings are not it's not like they've been in an accident and they can't use their arm properly or they've been you know like it's not like a a defect or anything it's it's just I don't know. What's the, what's the point I'm trying to make, Jill? What am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> no, but I think <laughs> if, if something's... To, me, to my mind, because we talked about objective and subjective morality, for something to be immoral, to my mind, it's got to have some negative outcome as a, as a consequence of it. So we talk, you talked about consequences earlier on. Well, so. the, the negative outcome for, for the religious person... Is uh, or, or specifically the theist person? Is yeah. uh, the committing uh, uh, an abomination in the the eyes of God? Yeah. So that that in itself is is reason not to do it and reason why it's sinful. But like there are religious rules, say like within Christianity, which have real life repercussions. Thou shalt not murder. You can see the very clear in front of your repercussions to that sort of an action. Whereas there are certain things where it's, you know, not to eat pork or whether it's not to 
you know, you've got to dress in a certain way or what have you, where there doesn't seem to be any sort of real world. I mean, I'll maybe simplify this, but no real world sort of consequences in terms of like the outcomes of that as a moral there decision. Are, uh, I mean, this is not the place to get into this, but there are in, specifically in Christian theology, there is a distinction in some quarters uh, of uh, between kind of things that are frowned upon, but won't yeah. particularly stop you getting to heaven anyway or stop you gaining merit. And and things that are uh, bad enough that they will actually impede you on mm-hmm. on gaining grace or getting to heaven or however you want to phrase it. So there there are aspects of that. In in yes, I guess actually then for those people who believe in the sort of and and I don't think it's clear anywhere about the the rules and procedures of the whole afterlife thing. But yeah, I guess. Therefore, if you're doing actions against God, the, the sort of quote-unquote real-life consequences of that would be afterlife-related as opposed to real-life-related yeah. now. So you'd have concrete stuff in front of you now, but it will have consequences later on down the line when you... In, in, in the hereafter, yeah. <laughs> as, as, as old books like to refer to it as. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, that, I guess that makes sense. I've come to some sort of understanding of that, perhaps, um, in terms of, you know, going back to like homosexuality as the sort of jumping on point that we had here. Like, me loving a woman versus me loving a man, aside from societal things or other people's prejudices or what have you, that doesn't make a, a concrete difference on. And, it, you know, it's not like it destroys somebody or, you know, murder is a very easy one to talk about good and bad. And that usually doesn't tend to be a good thing. Whereas loving one person versus another person doesn't seem to have those real life repercussions. Yes, if you're a religious person, you may be talking about eternal repercussions. But obviously, us from a sceptical perspective, don't necessarily see the... Uh, you know the the basis for that conclusion. Yeah, that, that's not uh, something that I'd particularly take into account myself as a on a personal level. Now, yeah, but then obviously there's that whole thing then of people who have those ideas then trying to push those on a bigger societal level to the point where even people who aren't necessarily and again Christianity is an easy one for us to to use in reference. Um, but like where people kind of assume that homosexuality, because historically most people have been Christians in the UK, for example, where homosexuality is still going through a process of acceptance. And yes, it's becoming more and more accepted by people in society, but like that's still not a fully accepted thing by a lot of people in the, yeah. you know, in the UK specifically, more so elsewhere in the world. Um, but again, that's, the whole basis on that is the fact that it's a moral decision that people have, not decision, a moral sort of judgment that people have based on a consequence which is not tangible or, I don't know, I don't want to say reasonable. Not, because people think it's reasonable, that's unfair. It's not a tangible, like, real-life, here-and-now consequence that you can see. It's, It's a sort of hypothetical afterlife consequence. And that doesn't seem to me to be a 
reasonable way to make conclusions about moral decisions. No, no, uh, and I, I would agree with you there that I don't think uh, hypothetical. Although there's, I mean, and when we talk about morals and especially consequences of morals, we do use a lot of hypothetical situations. So I'm not saying hypotheticals are, are, are bad yeah. overall, but the the kind of the assumption that there is an an external realm where this will matter, I don't think is is something that necessarily needs taking into consideration. I do want to touch. Uh, uh, we've got about 10 minutes left, I think. I, I do want to touch on a couple of things, and I forgot what the first one is, <laughs> which is it's typical uh, uh, of me. So I'll jump straight into the second one, and if I remember the first one, we'll I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll circle back, and if not, I'll put it in the discussion group when it does come back to me. You mentioned at the top of the show the, the, the kind of difference between moral obligations and... Uh, the opposite of moral obligations, which escapes me at the minute. <laughs> but the, so, you know, a moral obligation, of course, is something that is you are obligated to do because it is morally right to do. And there are, I think the most obvious example I can think of is, is veganism, mm. where, where, where this comes into conversation and we've we've done a show on veganism in the past so if you want to go and view that go yeah, and view that, that. Pause this video and watch our entire back catalog <laughs> the and then you can continue this episode now yeah but, but what, what what are your kind of views on uh not necessarily veganism but moral obligations in general and and where do we where do we decide that something is a moral obligation yeah it's interesting isn't it because I guess that whole idea of an obligation, because you could say, I'll come back to the veganism thing, but you know, like if I was walking down the street and I saw a child bleeding on the floor or just on the pavement unsupervised, I would feel like I had a moral obligation to call an ambulance, help the child as much as I could. Whereas I have to like, I don't know, that's a moral obligation that I would feel in that instance because of my specific set of moral ideas and sort of the whole framework of how I judge things to be good and bad. And I think most people would agree that that's something that's really clear cut. Yes, you, you would have a moral obligation in that case to help that child on the street. There may, am, I, am I right thinking there may also be a legal obligation to help someone like that? Like, can you... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would suspect so, I, but that's just, completely... Un- mind, but yeah. I think something like veganism, though, is something where the that, that moral... You know, we we're talking about real life consequences to moral decisions, where the consequence of it is a lot further away from home. It's not the child laid on, on the floor in front of me on the pavement who needs medical support now or they will die. It's an animal 300 miles away that I've not really thought about. Or it's a, I don't know, yeah, on paper, you could, I think it's really easy to make the moral case for veganism. And I, I highly sympathize with a lot of those ideas to i'm not a vegan um i'm not a vegetarian but i i could understand very very clearly a lot of the moral arguments for veganism it makes a lot of sense but i think it's it's one of those things because we're more yeah distanced from the the consequences of it because it is animals hundreds of miles away or it's abattoirs that we never see and it's um 
you know, we never see the anguish of a dairy cow who is falsely, forcibly impregnated and her calves forcibly removed, or the incineration of baby chicks because they happen to be male and so therefore won't lay eggs. You know, whatever it is, all of those things. Again, all of those things on paper sound like, well, of course, we have a moral obligation to not murder half of the babies that chickens have due to the fact that they're not profit-making machines like the female ones are. But I don't have those in my house, and I don't see them when I walk down the street. And so it's much easier to be blind to those consequences. And so therefore, it feels like an easier thing to dodge that obligation morally, if that makes sense. So let's let's skip veganism for a second then and go back to the baby dying in the street because yeah. as as I said, moral obligation is that you, you are kind of obligated to do something about it. What about because thought experiments are very important in yeah. these kinds of conversations? What about if you're you're jumping in to save that child? Men, you push in two or three other children in the way of a bus to oh, get to it. we've got the trolley incident. Where we've got the yeah, yeah exactly. There. And this is why these things are so important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how about where does the obligation lie in, in that? Can it be truly said to be an obligation if it's going to cause uh, uh, damage to or, or death to other children? There are some brilliant Doctor Who episodes where this is the, the whole dilemma of the episode. So um, Doctor Who series four, episode two of Fires and Pompeii um, is basically the Doctor... That's far and, too geeky, Richard, that you know well, the exact episode. 2008, it was a brilliant year for Doctor Who. Anyway, so they go to, Com- to Pompeii and the option is basically either these aliens take over and destroy the entire planet or they blow up the volcano, which then kills everybody in Pompeii. So it's that sort of thing like we either actively choose to kill all these people here now, all these families, the children, all their animals, you know, everyone here dies, or we passively let the whole world then become consumed by this alien creature. Whatever. It's a great episode. Um, they decide to kill everybody in Pompeii in that instance because they kind of already know that that's what does happen anyway. So that's what what they do and in those sorts of situations it's like do you go down the route of well it's just maths you know here there are fewer people to kill whereas if we don't do anything we're killing everybody um yeah it's hard to like the trolley problem it's like yeah we just let things happen and a bad thing happens or i do something actively and a less bad thing mathematically happens like because it's all the whole thing of like the the train's going down the tracks and would kill five people if I don't do anything, but I can pull a lever and kill one person instead, or whatever. Um, I'm glad yeah, you clarified I, what the trolley problem was for the listeners, just in case they weren't aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that. I've seen a YouTube video uh, where they post that to a two-year-old, and the two-year-old just takes all the people and puts them on the track, and they all get killed in one go. And I think that <laughs> it's a very good way of solving that problem. But... Um, yeah, I don't know if I ever have an answer to those sorts of problems because I, I, my brain struggles. I think that's the point of those sort of yeah. problems. That you, you, it's not easy to have an answer if there is one at all. Um, because I think a lot of these questions, though, because they are 
vegan abstract. Like talking, I know you said let's move on from veganism, but like veganism as a as a as an example is really good because it's that whole thing of passive and active. I'm not having to go out and kill a cow and butcher it in order to get mince in my fridge. I'm not having to go out and you know, yeah, I'm not having to do that action. And so therefore all of it is a lot more abstract. And so I think a lot of times where there are those difficult moral decisions, that level of activeness in the outcome or passiveness, I think has a lot to play there. I can understand people in the trolley problem, letting the train go and kill those five people because it was nothing to do with them. And I wasn't the person driving the train. I didn't cause the problem on the train track that meant it didn't have the brakes. I was just getting on with my life and it wasn't anything to do with me. Whereas if that one person dies, I did that. And I know that's the crux of the whole problem. So I'm just explaining the problem. But I think that applies with a lot of other things as well, doesn't it? So veganism, because I'm not having to decide whether or not to kill that cow. It's happening in the background. I'm kind of not, the, the meat's already there in the supermarket. I can just pick it up and... I think that's the the sort of difficulty with those sorts of things where I can very clearly say I understand the moral arguments for veganism, but I don't feel that moral obligation to do them at the moment in my life because I'm so far removed from the consequences of it. Yeah, we we, we are coming up to the end of the show. I just want to I've I've I've, I've remembered me earlier points. So I'm going to bring that up in a minute. Just very quickly before we go on to that, you you've got young children as I have. What what are, uh, are they aware of where animals, where the food comes from from animals? Is that something you brought up with them? Is that something you've talked yeah. about? Yeah, I mean, because we kind of live semi rurally where we are, so there's lots of animals around and stuff. Um, and I, I I'm a primary school teacher as well, so I always talk about things like this very bluntly about you know when we you know, when we've just been down to the school hall for dinner and we've all had a chicken dinner, that was a chicken that has been killed. Its muscles have been cut off it. We've chopped it up, cooked it, and that's what you've eaten. And when you put it in that sort of... Yeah, I think because people need to know, don't they? Like, And it's hard as well because that whole conversation is like, well, am I forcing my children to make unethical decisions to do with what they're eating because I'm kind of forcing my lifestyle on them because the default is me because I've said I understand that a lot of the things I'm talking about are unethical and so I'm forcing those decisions that I'm making on my children and if they don't know about the sort of moral implications behind them how fair is that or how unfair? Yeah, so, I mean, my, my children do know where food comes from as much as I can. But then, like, I've never shown them a video of pigs being slaughtered or, you know, like, um, so, yes, but to a point, I guess. I, I, I only ask because, I mean, my wife grew up on a farm and currently, as we speak, my wife and my two children, who are six and nine years old, are up on that farm. And it's lambing season. They're helping birth lambs. They they go out and do the chickens. There's coos up there. There's uh, there's uh, uh, pigs, and yeah. and uh, they're fully aware that the pigs are, and they absolutely love the pigs. They love going out and playing with the pigs. 
but they're fully aware that those pigs are going to end up as bacon on their plate. So, and and I don't think it's something that is widely discussed, uh, especially in a big city where I'm from, where, where, uh, where that thing is openly discussed, but that that's for another time. I think Uh, just briefly before we go, the thing I was going to mention earlier, and this is, this, this is really interesting and it's something we could expand on, but I don't think, and, and I've had lots of these conversations about objective and uh, subjective morality with Christians. I do not think scripturally or theologically there is any problem with subjective morality in Christianity. I think that's actually more plausible than objective morality. But that is a conversation for another time. Just dropping that tidbit in there. Richard, final thoughts on on ethics and morality? Well, one of my final thoughts is that I feel like I had more to say about this than I I predicted. I've I've said lots of words in this episode, which is is good. And I'm very happy to be back on an episode. So that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add to the conversation apart from I've, I've just really enjoyed the conversation we've had. I thought it's been a good one. Uh, so yeah. thank you. And certainly, I think we've we've raised lots of points that that fingers crossed, hopefully, uh, people want to sort of continue and talk about in the uh, in the discussion group. Um, and obviously, people can find us on. Well, if people go to our link tree, they can find all the links to to our show in various platforms. Uh, so if you happen to be listening to us, you can also see us on YouTube. If you're seeing us on YouTube, at cast and seeing us, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher etc 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 there are ways to spot the show and all of our social media links on there as well um so yes until next time this has been uh me richard and you jillifer i don't i don't know how this works with two people because i've I'm, <laughs> it's been interesting i've done a two-person show but until next time you say something jillifer keep questioning interrogate your beliefs and stay skeptical we will see you next time Hurrah.